Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 409 is recorded live June 21st, 2019. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the beautiful side of the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, considering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, before the uh, episode, we were talking about all our our woes and and uh, work that we needed done. So uh, ho- hopefully you can hang in there. Uh, don't chew in any ice cubes, I think would be my That's advice. true. <laughs> <laughs> My dog, uh, he loves ice cubes, and we just replaced the refrigerator. So I went from a refrigerator that makes ice cubes to going back to the old trays. And I forgot how big those ice cubes were in the tray. I'm afraid he's going to break a tooth. The old ones, he used to just like do a little quick chomp, and he was done. And now he's got to work at it for a little bit. I figured you get with those ice machines and you could just crunch them up and give them shredded ice. Yeah, I could do that. Freezies. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't decided this uh, new refrigerator didn't have an ice machine in it, and it doesn't have water in the door, but I really love the space it has inside. I I couldn't appreciate how much was taken up by all that mechanism, so I haven't decided if I'm going to put one back in or not. I've, I'll have the old refrigerator uh, downstairs as a backup, so yeah, maybe I'll just do it that way. Well, if the kids are not home, you don't need as much ice. They're not really. It's usually me. I'm a big ice person. I do... Uh, usually for breakfast, a uh, smoothie. Oh, so, really? Yeah. And I like to uh, put it on the, uh, on the ice in the door. It has crushed ice. So you can press yeah. it crushed and it crushes coming out. So I, I'm just spoiled by that. Uh, I just like ice and everything. And then the, the water is filtered out of the ice maker. And you know, even though I've got fairly good filtering here at the house, uh, there's something about cold filtered water that just tastes better than the tap water. So I'm going to have to buy one of those, you know, water jugs and keep it in the refrigerator or, you know, put something in. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. That's a little bit down the road. I'm in, I'm in middle of remodel hell (laughs) going on. Uh, I second the item about the filtered pitchers. We've been using one for years mm -hmm. and wouldn't go back without it. Oh yeah. It's, I just like cold water. It's a, I know it's an American thing. I, I've, I've seen online where other countries are, that's what they surprised is Americans either other than hot coffee, they want everything cold. And I think that's just kind of what we're used to. Yeah. Especially beer. Yeah. <laughs> the way beer was meant to be. So, and as a side note, uh, yeah. I did go to Roma's. After the club meeting the other day. Oh, yeah. That was actually hear a conversation. (laughs) How how was the interior? Have they done anything with it? Uh, They have not yet. Uh, I was surprised. I had thought they had already started peeling the walls to put it back like the original. But uh, the food was excellent. Uh, They pretty much kept the same menu with some additions. Mm -hmm. A lot of different pizzas. Uh, Prices were good. And the nice part was it was quiet. So we had 
we only had, I think, 10 people. But uh, it was a lot more enjoyable than trying to talk over the uh, jukebox. Yeah, yeah. What, what Mac's referring to is uh, the Michigan Underwater Divers Club or the Mud Club. Uh, was it the f- third Tuesday of the month is our meeting? Yep. And uh, our favorite pizza place had slowly been shortening hours. It, it happened when they, the kids uh, of the original owners took it over after about 30 or 40 years. And uh, it they just weren't open when their meetings got done. And that was kind of a traditional hangout for as long as I had been with the club. In the the alternate, which I preferred the beverages yeah. at the alternate <laughs> place a little better because uh, you know Roma's just has uh, iced tea and and the sodas, uh, but the you know the the full octane establishment has a a nice bar, but the jukebox once they get that jukebox going, any conversations are just about impossible. No, I would say impossible. And if you have hearing aids, you got to turn them down. Otherwise, you're really going to be deaf. Well, it's a, I mean, these are 150-year-old buildings. And uh, the bar, I mean, both the bar and the pizza place, the, the buildings are probably within 10 years of each other. Uh, but the, the pizza place just, it's a rectangular shape. Uh, it's got, you know, cheesy wood paneling up. But they don't have the jukebox to blare over. Where the other one, has uh, brick walls in that jukebox. There's like one volume and it's like too loud. Um, and I never really cared for loud. You can't talk over even when I was younger. And now I'm just a grumpy old man. So there's no way I want to put up with that. I mean, but they don't have IPAs over at uh, the yeah, other place. The Romas, no. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if they'd object if I brought a brown bag in. Probably. Like to thank everybody who's in the chat room again. We have our normal hardcore in there. We have Eric and Derek. So this first article up this week is the Oregon officials, and we just to get started, we should call this episode the follow-up episode because everything, almost every article is one that we've covered before. So just last week, we were referring to those uh, barrels that were in the lake. And later that night, after we had finished, they, there was already an update, and it was Oregon officials start work on removing the barrels labeled with Agent Orange chemicals from the bottom of the lake. Uh, Oregon officials with the Environmental Protection Agency this week began removing barrels recently discovered at the bottom of Wallowa Lake marked as containing chemicals. The Twitter account for the U.S. EPA Region 10 tweeted the ongoing work on Thursday, saying officials were starting to test and remove 12 100-gallon drums. The barrels are labeled containing either 2,4-D or 2,4-5-T, commonly known as Agent Orange, which is widely used in the Vietnam War, has been linked to a number of illnesses, including cancer. While the cleanup begins, officials said the drinking water for the city is safe, uh, but they temporarily switched to a backup. And they've got a post and see the ROV they got in that photo. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a nice one. Well, I'm sure they switched to the backup because if you agitated the containers and there were anything mm-hmm. that, why stir it up and suck it into the uh, system? Yeah. It says, according to the report by the Oregon Live, the barrels were discovered by divers in August. An official told the outlet that the drums could be sitting in water between 80 to 100 feet deep. 
which combined with cold temperatures in the lake could complicate the process of obtaining the barrels. EPA officials plan to operate remotely operated vehicles on Friday to survey the site and continue planning for the removal of the barrels. It remains unclear how the drums came to be in the lake and if they are filled with chemicals as labeled. So we'll keep an eye out on this one and see if there are any more updates. But uh, I was kind of surprised. They're making it sound like it was going to be towards the end of summer after yeah. the boating season. And here they are already going down. So uh, there must be some, I, I hate to being the pessimist, but there must be some political advantage for dealing with it when they did. Or they just got summer interns. You got all those college kids. Yeah, I was trying to read the comments that they won't load. There's over 100 comments on this article. Yeah. I'm curious well, the, to see if what they were going to say. Yeah, the website where we're getting this from is The Hill, which is a a political-based website. So, Well, we may even have a follow-up to the follow-up. Yeah, I, I, I bet we'll see some more here coming in the next few weeks. And then here's another follow-up to one we had earlier in the year. Uh, you know, who, who wouldn't love to go do some diving on the Titanic? And that would be in a uh, vessel, not <laughs> free diving or scuba diving. OceanGate puts off plans to dive the Titanic shipwreck this year due to topside tangle. Everett, Washington-based OceanGate has had to postpone this summer's deep sea dives to the Titanic shipwreck as they were about to start due to complications relating to the expedition's intended mothership. The complications have to do with the status of the Norwegian-flagged MV Havila Harmony under Canadian maritime law. OceanGate CEO Stockton Rush told GeekWire today, which was actually a few days ago, the ship's operators at Reached Subsea feared the ship might be impounded if the expedition went forward as planned. Russia, the issue cropped up last Friday and that the resulting complications couldn't be resolved in time to do this year's Titanic survey expedition. The first departure from St. John's, Newfoundland, had been scheduled for June 28. I've been up in my life and I've been down in my life, Rush said. I was happy as I'd ever been Thursday night, and by Sunday, I was uh, Saturday, I was about as low as I'd ever been. It's been quite a swing, and I hope I don't ever have to go through this again. Ocean Gate's clients have paid more than 100000 each to take part in the expedition as mission specialists. They were due to join professional crew members on the cruise on the company's Titan Deep Sea Submersible for, to see the 107-year-old wreck the Titanic nearly 4,000 meters below the surface of the Atlantic. Those divers are now being rescheduled. I said divers. Those dives are now being rescheduled for mid-2020. And Russ said there's more than 75% of the mission specialists are willing to wait another year. The response has been all over the map. Rush said, I wouldn't say it's been largely supportive. Oh, I would say it's been largely supportive. This is a setback for them. It's a setback for us. OceanGate has been working with Reach Subsea to identify the appropriate vessel for the expedition and to verify the chosen ship would fill the requirements for the summer series of voyages. He had said OceanGate's personnel checked with Halvia Harmony's specifications against the 500-page worth of procedures and documents. In the end, the sticking point had to do with Canadian law using foreign flag vessels for the commercial voyages that put Canadians' ports at the starting point and the end point. The Coasting Trade Act is analogous to the United States Jones Act, 
goodness, gosh, I need, sounds like I need to take another drink. Which created complications for the Puerto Rican hurricane relief effort in 2017. So it's basically a way of protecting uh, their merchant marine ships uh, and guaranteeing some sort of work. Based on the informal advice, it initially looked like the Halvia Harmony would be able to take the Titanic expedition because the voyage didn't involve port-to-port commerce, Rush said. But as the day the expedition neared, reached subsea, picked up indications that they might be trouble. Late last week, Ocean Gate was notified the risk of having the ship impounded was too great and the expedition would have to use a substitute vessel instead. But Rush said Reach Subsea had been told during earlier discussion that the substitute was unacceptable. Rush said he couldn't resolve the issue in time to make the weather-dependent window for summer trips. When you start rushing an expedition, you start asking for mistakes in our business. Mistakes could be fatal. Now, Ocean Gate is a discussion of the financial fallout with Reach Subsea as well as with the clients and investors. We have other projects, but nothing in close to magnitude of the Titanic. It does put a hiccup in our financials. We've sent an email to Reach Subsea office in Norway asking for comment, and we'll update their support when we hear back. So then they go on and talk about some debt refinancing they have to do. He says, we're reassessing. Do we need to buy our own ship? Well, it's quite interesting when they say for the time being, equity round would be conducted to boost a privately held venture capital. Uh, that sounds like you're running out of money. Well, I think what they did is they put together some, you know, the, how, how, the, how the venture capital markets work is they probably had different tiers around. So you had your initial round who helped them. Cause I, were, didn't they, and I might be mixing them up with another organization, but didn't they build an ROV just for this? I thought this was the one. Yeah. Picture so of you, yeah. So you, you've got to build the ROV. So that's going to take some money. And then you've got to operate it. So you, you've, unless you're independently wealthy or have a big, deep pocket, you have to get some funding and people are coming on because you've got a business plan that makes sense. So you build the sub, you do a seasons of dives, the word of mouth goes great. So instead of just doing what dives you had the week before, you end up with all the, uh, you can, you can continue to grow it. Uh, but now you don't. So you've got investors who are probably going crap. We were planning on, uh, you know, getting, you get some income. How many with a hundred thousand a piece. So it wasn't enough to pay off all the investors, but it's probably enough to prove the concept. And then you do another round and the, your early round investors start getting a little bit of money back, but it's going to be a little tougher now. Well, I was oh, yeah. curious about that a little bit. They had related stories and mm-hmm. referenced Ocean Gate reschedules Titanic sub trips for 2019 due to testing snags in the Bahamas. So I don't know what the deal was at, unless that I was think, earlier in the year. I, yeah, I think that was because uh, if you look even farther over, it shows uh, the different level of tests. So they had the Titan Unleashed. Uh, showing the vessel, so they built the vessel, and then they're just working through all the issues with something brand new. So they're already delayed. I mean, this this makes it look like it's at least two years delayed. 
You're going to go back and get the wreckage in the Galupos and live aboard. Skip that one. Uh, let me see. I knew I was going to skip over these. Well, you said to remind you. Yeah. So, wrecked in the Galapagos during the last AMA live aboard vessel Majestic Explorer, formerly known the MN Galapagos Majestic, as part of the Explorer fleet, sank near the island of Santiago between Isla Isabella and Isla Santa Cruz after running aground not far from uh, where the Galapagos aggressor ran aground in 2013. Seems like you might want to mark that spot. Yeah, the hull, was, <laughs> the hull was breached in the bow area. All 26 passengers and crews were rescued before the ship capsized and sank with two tons of fuel on board. No injuries were reported, but if you have a booking, you should contact them immediately. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I would do that. Yeah. Yeah, especially if it was that boat. Um, yeah, you, unless you like soggy uh, berths. Or you want to go on a, an interesting new wreck dive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we had a joke uh, once about that. And then we have 633 divers at Florida break the world record for the largest underwater cleanup. And this is also a follow-up. We, we talked about this one last week. So it looks like they did actually break the record. According to Sun Sentinel, the world record for the largest underwater cleanup has been broken by the 633 scuba divers scooped up trash from the ocean floor near a pier at Deerfield Beach. They said that hundreds of divers entered the ocean in waves and had to stay in the water for at least 15 minutes to be counted. The Guinness World Record adjudicator. I, I, I'm, I can't pronounce anything this adjudicator? way. Adjudicator? Adjudicator, that's it. Uh, Michael Amprick reportedly came from New York City to do the official head count between 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Saturday. Saturday's event was organized by Dixie Divers, which supported the Marine Conservation Non-Project AWARE and the Scuba Diving Agency Patty. The event aimed to show that conservation brings more people together than ever before. All the marine debris data collected will be submitted to Project AWARE's world's largest marine debris surveying database of potential policy-changing work in Deerfield Beach in South Florida. The Sun Sentinel reported the previous record for the most divers taking part in underwater cleanup was held by Ahmed Garber, a former Egyptian Army scuba diver. He bought a team of 615 divers at the Red Sea in Egypt in 2015. Jack Fisherman, a diver who attended the event, said at least 3,200 pounds of fishing gear was used for this dive. He also said that over 9,000 pieces of marine debris was poured to, to Project Aware. That didn't, why would you use fishing gear for the dive? I don't know. I think it's got to be a wording. But I would be very curious, what were the 9,000 pieces? Yes. It'd be, you know, how much plastic, how much cups, straws, whatever. It'd be interesting. Now, is that something we should be doing for the mud club? You know, logging this with Project Aware? Um, well, being that we haven't got into the river for a year and a half, floods. <laughs> Uh, probably not. As a side note, you did see the photos I posted today? No, I have not been on. Where we do the turkey dive? No, I have not been on the Facebook at all. You you know how you're on the platforms, the the boardwalks? Yeah. And then you had that couple of feet drop to get into the water? Mm Mm-hmm. You can walk off the, well, let me rephrase this. Parts of it, you're in the water, 
on the dock that you walk straight into the water. So it's now a dive platform. Uh, basically, yes. <laughs> and on the opposite side of the bridge, you know, where they have the commercial boats tied up, the uh, diving community. Yeah. Uh, you normally are on the, the surface and you step down to your boat. Mm-hmm. Now you step off the boat down to the water. <laughs> and, and when I say water, I mean the land that's now covered with water. Uh. The pilings are now even with the uh, river water. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of people who are going to be happy with this. Now, the uh, I haven't heard anything from the Great Lakes carriers, but they should be enjoying this. Uh, they should be able to run with full loads into just about any river. I would think so, with the exception of the current. You've got so much backwater now from Lake Michigan being higher that when you go down by Whirlpool, um, what do they call that? The, by the new the, Whirlpool uh, building complex. Oh yeah, the uh, yeah the new the new. It's backed the water up through the sewer and the drainage, and the water is coming from the lake up through the drainage and has flooded the street. <laughs> well, yeah, that's uh, kind of water goes to the low spot. So uh, unless you're going to do a Holland thing and make it a dike, uh, you're going to run into some well, problems. I did a picture of even their parking lot, and uh-huh. you can't get out of your cars if you don't have boots on <laughs> oh wow that's uh yeah, that's gonna be some a little bit of civil engineering there it's gonna have to be done yeah now didn't they last time we had this uh do a little bit of dredging in the uh, st Clair? wasn't that in why the they st. said Claire? wasn't there a spot where the bottom was hard packed so they ran the dredge through it, and then that was being blamed when the water levels were low. Yes, that, that is they correct. Overdid it. They they had overdone it. Right. So they were they were talking about well, how do we repair this or do something different so we don't let so much water out? Which now they're probably glad they didn't do anything. So I'm sure the Mississippi would love some water, wouldn't it? You know, clean it up a little bit. Did you realize that the Mississippi? handles 41% of the country's effluent water from all the tributaries and everything feeds the Mississippi is 41% of the water volume. I knew it was a lot. I wasn't quite aware it was that high. But Well, it's so bad right now because of all that fresh water in. As it got through Louisiana and out, it has changed the brackish water to water, you know, fresh water, <laughs> and has killed 90% of the clam base. So you're... Uh, Clams, your uh, certain species of fish, crayfish, are going to skyrocket in price this year because it's basically decimated many of the areas. The fresh water, where it used to be brackish, is now fresh. Mm. The only good yeah. part is some of the bullhead sharks that were coming miles up the Mississippi because of the brackish water and they could tolerate it, pushes them back out, though. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think this in the long term will end up being a, a positive thing. Anything that doesn't overflow and flood New Orleans, uh, I think getting some of that silt out there and refreshing the Delta won't hurt them too bad. Well, I always get a kick out of the, the climate change, of course, because, you know, I'll up and go down. But most people don't realize that Mount Everest is actually and used to be the bottom of the sea. Yeah. Yeah. 
the Teutonic plates were emerging, that changed a little bit. So, you know, what yeah. what goes around comes around. Yeah, our our perspective on this planet is so short; it's 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 hard to understand where things have been and and where they'll head, and it will outlive us. The well, the yeah. planet will the planet yeah. will exist whether we're, we're we make it the, on the planet. Yep, we're looking at a thousand years, and it's four point five billion. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, Karen, Karen is talking in the chat room about the Mermaid Festival has not been awarded their record yet. I guess part of the complication was uh, the $10,000 that it cost to have the Guinness people come out for the count. So they got 19 pages of documented rules that had to be submitted. Of the five different methods of documenting the record, there's something about one of the videos that they are not happy with. So. Huh. I would think that we could take some of the drone pictures yeah, and do stills and count the bodies. Well, I mean, you you think about the Guinness. That's a money-making operation in that it's a publishing company who is doing this. Uh, and that's how they, you know, it's, it's the selling of books and other marketing material. Yeah, she said the old record was 320 and they had 407 officially. So, let's see. What's the next one that we have uh, showing up the here? Three hundred mermaids. Yeah. So that's oh yeah. So that that is actually the next one. It said nearly three hundred mermaids lined up, lined up Michigan for the Mermaid Festival uh, Mega Festival this year, which was on June sixteenth, twenty nineteen. Despite the rain and the high water levels, South Haven's Harbor Fest still drew a crowd. Its high attendance this year's scaly, sparkly guest, 279 mermaids. Harborfest joined forces and hosted the second annual Mermaid Mega Festival. Last year, the Sirens of Sea descended on South Haven Memorial Week in attempt to make the Guinness World Record. Although they're still waiting to hear if they've made history, this year's count was impressive, 407. Event organizer Rosalie Plachanti said, beyond the beautiful seashell crowns and handmade tritons, which excites Pletching most of the seeing children interact with the mermaids and enjoying the beaches in Lake Michigan, she said. As the Mermaid Megafest evolved, she hopes it continues to be rooted in environmental initiatives. Coming from all corners of the United States and eventually international, uh, many of the mermaids came with a message. Saturday night's event included environmental speeches about cleaning up waterways and beaches. Marine biologist, professional mermaid instructor, uh, instructor Leah Jones grew up loving Disney Little Mermaid after earning a marine biology degree become a certified diver in Maui, Hawaii, Jones decided to spread the awareness in a flashy, fun way. Our waterways, whether it's fresh or salt water, need that type of attention. If you can volunteer in a nonprofit to raise awareness of the mermaid's tail, it catches a lot more attention than somebody standing in a T-shirt. She jokes a little bit of bait and switch to draw people in with elaborate costumes and give them a real dose of reality about the harmful effects of sunscreen chemicals and single-use plastic. Obviously, she's been surprised by the way mermaid culture has evolved since she started her mermaid training company, Mermaid Dreams Retreats, in 2015. A lot of people are coming to bring mermaids. are not just doing it to be in the tail and play around. They want to actually learn about the environment and have that guidance. It's been kind of mind-blowing for me to see. One diving, driving factor is that the Instagram has made mermaid culture even trendier. The silver lining is that constantly scrolling through the gorgeous underwater beachfront photos can spark meaningful conversations. Joan said she frequently receives Facebook messages about 
viral photos or videos of people interacting with wildlife and asking what's harmful and what's not. We're not only coming next generation of those who will be caring for the earth after us, it's also next generation of mermaids. With this growth, we have a lot more education. These one-on-one moments are coupled with larger presentations, events like Mermaid Megafest, where Joan spreads awareness about the dangers of uh, octanate and oxybenzene and benzophonine 3, which are active ingredients in most sunscreens, which I cannot pronounce any of those. No surprise. In Hawaii, sunscreen and these ingredients have been banned after the chemical started to ripple effects in beach coral reefs, leaving them vulnerable to disease and eventually killing them off. As an alternative, Jones suggests using mineral-based sun protection. This can be tricky to find because some companies have used the coral reef effort as a marketing tool despite still having harmful chemicals in sunscreen, she said. Joan encourages shoppers to check the back of their sunscreen labels and look for active ingredients like zinc oxide or titanium dioxide. The festival also drew activists who are doing good at land, the Indiana-based Mermaid Straw put on a social media call out for a bring your own bucket and prompt to beach cleanup on Sunday morning starting at 10 a.m. And they go on. Uh, Karen, is there anything that uh, we missed? Oh, she said the count was 379, not 279. So even this year, they'd have broken the record again. Or at least the record that they were trying to break. And then here's another follow-up. Artist copyright infringement suit heads to the U.S. Supreme Court. And what this is in reference to is a film director's images being used without obtaining his permission or compensating him. And this is by the state of North Carolina. The case is due to be argued before the Supreme Court this fall. Producer and director who filmed the salvaging of an 18th century pirate ship in North Carolina has sued state officials for infringing on his copyright without his permission and failing to compensate him for his work. The case could have wider repercussions for artists who have disseminated by states who involve sovereign immunity to avoid negotiating with the image's creators. After the independent producer and director Rick Allen filmed the salvaging of Blackbeard's flagship Queen Anne's Revenge in Brewfort, North Carolina in the late 1990s, the state of North Carolina posted five videos and one still photograph at its tourism website and on social media pages. Allen and his company, Nautilus Productions, brought their federal suit against North Carolina governors Patrick McCrory and other top officials of the state in 2015, the same year North Carolina state legislature enacted laws that treats all photographs, video recordings, and other documentary materials depicting a derelict vessel or shipwreck or its contents as part of the public record, permitting the state to make use of Allen's copyrighted material without having to obtain his permission, or make any payments to him. The statute, which Allen had dubbed the Blackbeard's Law, claims the state is immune from lawsuits regarding such images because the 11th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States, which includes which North Carolina officials see as a granting states immunity from lawsuits filed by citizens for monetary damages without the state's consent. Allen's suit initially succeeded in U.S. District Court but that decision was reversed by an appellate court earlier this year. The Supreme Court's decision is likely to be of interest to other copyright holders. And they go on and list some other cases, non-diving related, so they don't count. Uh, but this will be interesting to see how this plays out. Because I, I know that uh, Kevin 
ran into some issues, uh, not quite as extreme, but people right now think they can repost an image and that's fine. And they weren't giving credit or giving credit to the wrong people. And uh, well, it, it is a concern even to me. Uh, if you go and did searches on weird items in Google, you'll start coming up with pictures and it's like, uh, wait a minute, I took that. Oh, wait a minute. That's one of mine. And I don't mind them using it, but they don't give credit because it's based on the club site. Mm-hmm. When we have done our bottle collections and our ecology dives. Yeah. And there's no problem with that because some of them will say came from, you know, the Michigan Underwater Diver site, which is great. And there's a lot that isn't. And I know they're mine because I have the freaking pictures. And yeah. this will clarify that, I think. Yeah. And the thing is, many cases, the, the original ph- photographer would be happy to share the photos, uh, but it would be nice to get the, the appropriate credit and at least be consulted. But in this day of where you have to beat the next site to get the early links and do a clickbaity title, um, you know, they just don't seem to be taking that. Plus, I think, um, not to pick on young people, but uh, kind of the culture of people entering the uh, journalism is uh, more of a share and meme culture, which tends to, in many cases, violate copyrights. Well, I also wonder if the, um, I understand the videos would have had produced by blah, blah, blah. So I, that would be blatant misuse if they didn't give him some kind of compensation or credit. The still picture, I haven't ever seen it, whether or not Mm -hmm. it has a copyright item on on the picture itself. Well, I, I looked at another article, and he had claimed that they had intentionally cropped or stripped any credit from the photos and the video. So they were they were making it look like which is intent. Yeah, they they intended to do it. Yeah, yeah, and they're talking about the the watermarks uh, can be used by anyone, and that's watermarks is what uh, a lot of your uh, printers, I mean, commercial printers and uh, photography labs go by. You know, if there's a artist mark on a photo, mm-hmm. they expect a signed waiver to be able to reproduce it. If you don't have that, they won't do anything with it. Uh, same thing as a, as a printer. Um, luckily, we're dealing most of the people coming to us, and that, that's my day job is in the commercial printing space. Uh, but they're large publishers, so it's up to them for the liability. But, you know, occasionally, even the publishers, we have to remind. be interesting to see what the result's going to be. Yeah. Um, see, I here here's my take on it, is uh, the intent of the you can't sue a state is just to prevent a state from having to defend all these things because somebody's unhappy about something. It's just a practical economic thing. But I think there should be something for when uh, a state intentionally violates a rule, which is what they're doing here. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, there, there should be some consequences for somebody for breaking a law. It doesn't mean the state can do whatever it wants. So that's up for the lawyers to do. And then I especially thought you might like this one, Mac. This is this is our now we're getting into the not follow up 
uh, section, but a diver helped solve a mystery in a remote Saskatchewan lake. Um, guest speaker at the annual Decoration Day Memorial Service June 9th was diver Mike Fletcher of Port Dover, star of Sea Hunters and Dive Detective TV series, TV series on National Geographic History, Discovery, and Smithsonian Channels, among others. And I remember the series, but I don't remember his name. Do you remember, Mike? Is he somebody that you're aware of? How do I? Yeah. Uh, Fletcher came to Vittoria, prepared to talk about a local shipwreck. However, at the last minute, he ditched the script and spoke instead on a recovery operation he worked on in northwest Saskatchewan in March. Fletcher was brought in the picture by Dr. Linda Capusta and her husband, Dr. Don Capusta, both of Toronto. Linda's father, Ray Gran, was a bush pilot who went on to fly for Saskatchewan Government Airways. He died August 20, 1959, when he crashed a float plane into Peter Pond Lake in the north part of the province. Authorities confirmed the location after personal effects and airline property washed ashore. Also killed in the crash was conservation officer Harold Thompson. The Capustas did nearly two years of research and pre- preparation before setting off to find the Cessna 180 last summer. They were surprised to see on the sonar side scan a couple of days into their quest. They wanted to solve the mystery of Grant's death for Linda's mother, uh, who was pregnant with Linda when Gray Rand was killed. Linda's mom would generally accompany her husband on his flights, however, because uh, she was pregnant with Linda. Raymond suggested she not fly anymore, and that was that flight that crashed with the result of the adverse weather that day. Marcella Grand, 83, was living in a long-term care home when she found out the plane was located. She died unexpectedly July 31st, the day after her daughter and son-in-law found the missing aircraft. Sadly, my mother passed away just hours later before we could tell her we had finally found the craft. It was heartbreaking. She never got the news. Our preliminary findings suggest my father's remains and remains of his passenger, Harold Thompson, may still be in the aircraft. Our focus is now on finally bringing my father's remains home to recover the remains of the passenger for his family. Uh, they contacted Fletcher out of frustration after the RCMP put a freeze in the site. Police planned to investigate, but they wanted no one disturbing the wreck. Fletcher told the family to be patient and everything will work itself out. Complete, confirm, the police confirmed that it was a missing plane. They retrieved skeletal remains and personal effects. However, they also complained of the murky diving conditions due to sediment in the water. The footage they brought to the surface was useless. Having established what happened, the police were no longer seized on the site. Uh, the couple wanted to do a thorough recovery and already arranged for the Saskatchewan Aviation Museum and the Saskatoon to take possession of the wreck. Uh, Mike Fletcher recognized this was not work as a professional job during due to the exacting standards for such a procedure under Saskatchewan labor law. However, if Fletcher agreed to do the work on a non-profit basis, the rules were less stringent. Fletcher chose a winter dive because he wanted a thick layer of ice in the lake. This allowed the positioning of tents, vehicles, and equipment. The ice was also a useful buffer against turbulent water. Fletcher brought 42 years of experience to bear the situation along with an array of specialized equipment, including an underwater vacuum that helped the team collect bones and additional personal effects such as wallets, car keys, watch, a pilot's license, a jackknife, and the like. Local Dean took interest in the operation, provided helpful logistic support as did residents of the Michael, the Mitchell Village nearby, 
Ceremonies on shore included the burning of tobacco and sweetgrass. It all made us feel guilty we had invited them in the first place. This was part of their history. It was important for them to help these souls find peace. In 60 feet of water, Fletcher separated the wings of fuselage and harnessed the pieces so they could be extracted one at a time. At the end of the three-day operation, all concerned were amazed when Grand's wedding ring came to the surface in the crease in a wing. Distinctive piece of jewelry made of gold, emeralds, and diamonds. It was another sense of accomplishment. There was a sense of fulfillment and success in the feeling of gratitude to the residents of Mitchell Village and the Dean people. It was very worthwhile fulfilling for me. It seemed just like the right story to tell the day in the cemetery. The human remains were entrusted to the intending coroner. The ring and other personal effects are handed over to the family. Ray Gran will be laid to rest besides his widow in Saskatchewan on July 20th. Well, they have some nice photos that go along with this. I'd be curious how thick the ice was. I like the last picture of the dive location with trailers and stuff out there. So mm-hmm. one would gather that's got to be pretty thick ice. Well, and can you tell me about that site? There's a particular preparation it looks like they've done. You've got a main road growing out to the site, and then it looks like there's a little tiny village, and then there's a large circle, and then there's some more on it. So I would say that that circle is probably your search area. Is that something they it would help them when they're underwater to kind of visualize where they at 60 feet, that's a huge, huge circle. That, that's what I was thinking, because it wasn't like our spoken wheel that we will do. Uh, yeah, because I mean, when we do it officially for the big time, we do 100 foot and yeah. sometime 150 foot. That's a big yeah. circle when you do a 100 foot circle. That would, I have to say, would be at least 300 feet or over 100 meters. Easy. Yeah, easily. Yeah. And, not, uh, and that's probably from the center line. But yeah. uh, I'd be curious. Uh, Bob was talking about uh, one of the lakes they had looked at on their way to Alaska, for example, in that area. It's uh, frozen from November through June. The ice on that lake, never, or the water temperature never gets above 50, 52. And it is generally a meter plus thick during the So I just wonder if this were also, you know, two, three feet to support all that equipment, one. Well, and that's what I was wondering about making the ice bare. Was that part of an effort to also maybe, because if you clear the snow off, your ice should get deeper. Well, you definitely would be able to see that ring from underneath, that's for sure. So, so the, I'm, I'm kind of thinking it was, that was probably more of a practical reason. And then maybe it also became a nice barrier where you told people, you know, stay off the center section because we may want to, you know, depending on what we find, uh, cut through this. Did they say how deep the wreck was of the the plane? I thought they said sixty feet. Sixty feet, yeah, and sixty feet of water. Yeah, so not terribly deep. So, yeah, the picture of the aircraft under the tripod is quite interesting. I can't see the engine, so I don't know. It doesn't appear that the engine's still connected to the bulkhead there, firewall. Uh, it's hard to tell. I, I I can see there's like a trailer in front of the nose, so yeah, it's it's hard to tell. But 
Yeah, I, I don't know enough about plane construction to know if that would have come off or not. Uh, well, the plane's in good enough condition that it doesn't appear that the engine would have normally come off like that. Because mm-hmm. the wings were still on it, too. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, I, I thought you'd appreciate uh, the change of plans and the speaking engagement. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean, it, I, I think you probably present a more riveting uh, presentation when you when you feel connected and that it's important. Yeah. And then a this one's just out, uh, and it was on a variety of websites, and I just happened to pick this one from uh, the Fox News. Uh, it was between Fox and CNN, so, you know, it's kind of a toss-up. Uh, a deadly 102-year-old shipwreck discovered. The wreck of a ship that claimed 14 lives when it sank in a devastating storm off the coast of Australia has been discovered. Noyora, a large steam tug, which I think we talked about this one, didn't we? We talked about this last week. Yeah. So this, so I just think this has finally went from our original sources to the uh, the networks. So uh, let me see. Is there anything else that's new in this? Uh, they said the following day they were rescued in lifeboat. Medals were awarded to lighthouse keepers for their bravery. Yeah, I don't think there's anything more in here. Nope, not seeing it. You. Yeah. You're gonna talk about the shark. Oh, let me let me jump back in. Ah, oh, I'm I know I zipped right through those. Yeah. So taking cameras into a shark no-go zone. And this, what was this from? This is from uh, Undercurrents. Yes. Under- yeah, the Humane Society International Australian Arm has called for permits allowing it to continue to document shark kills by the Queensland state government. It highlights the impact of the lethal shark control program and fines of $26,000 for anyone caught within 66 feet of its baited hooks and shark necks in the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park. HSI rejected the argument that the drum lines had stopped shark attacks on beaches as superficial, attractive albeit non-scientific. So this has to do with the Humane Society wanting to get some photos that they can use against the state to say how mean they are? Is that what the the goal of it is? I'm not sure what the whole goal was. Yeah, and I'm and not being from Australia, I don't know what their, their, their rules are. Uh, and I don't know how that would work here. I mean, if you were here and there was a government action going on could you sue to be able to review or have oversight i don't know in the u.s i would just if you wanted to prevent it you just claim it's military and that's pretty much going to lock it up and they're not going to be able to do anything uh what's this organization uh uh queensland state government so it's it's not clear but that's kind of a hefty fine if you're within 66 feet of the baited hooks. Yeah. But I'm not sure I'd want to go playing around baited hooks for shark. No. Nor would this? I like to be playing with a giant octopus. No, like in this next video, uh, the the video shows uh, a diver uh, in, what is he, in the Sea of Japan. Intense footage shows the moment that diver Mayak Gumov, Russia, was grabbed by a giant octopus in the Sea of Japan. I wondered, did he just think that he was lunch? 
That's a, he's got a pretty good grab on him. And he does exactly what I would do, which is grab your mouthpiece and your mask. That's not such a big thing. Yeah. But you have to think, I wonder how good is that octopus's eyesight? Did it just see a shadow and nine times out of ten, this is a nice fish it can munch on? Or uh, Do you believe the title, though, Giant Octopus? Well, yeah, no, I'm no, I I don't go. That's a that's a clickbait title. I wonder if that that the octopus tooth can actually penetrate through a suit like that. Uh, I, I bet it could. I think so. I mean, yeah, they're I mean, good size, but not giant. Yeah, an octopus has a pretty good beak on there. So if it was so inclined to size, it like the base to the apreen, uh, it it could it bite through it. And I bet it could take a nice chunk off your leg, but uh, that's that. If, if you're in my dive, buddy, and that happens, I would hope you do something besides just film it. <laughs> <laughs> Can we do that again? I didn't get I didn't get a good shot. You know, how, how about a selfie? <laughs> how could wow. I didn't get a chance to watch the video? It's a pretty quick in that shot. Like, it. well, he made. A couple of attempts to get in there, and uh, uh, it looks like he was trying to mate with his leg. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Well, he kind of looked for something along the tank, and you know, I could get another toy to valve, too. I did see the um, multicolored octopus that was on Facebook the other day. No, I missed that. I don't one. know how deep they were, but it was dark out there except for the light on that octopus. The octopus of many colors. It was quite interesting. Did you see that one? No. Uh, and uh, the chat room was uh, one of an octopus that tries to eat a lot of china. Uh, also, your audio on my side is chopping up, by the way. Just a side thing. Okay. Uh, but see, I, I think they're just trying to get back at us. I mean, here here she is trying to eat one live and <laughs> and it's like they're communicating they're they're reporting home saying you know hey guys we gotta we gotta retaliate here very possible oh because we all know that it was really alien that derek said it may have been we lost you too well when was it that you lost us 15 minutes ago really oh why don't we since we've already been on over an hour why don't we leave this and i'll catch this for next month or next okay. week, and we'll go to the exciting part. Okay. The new Which, joke. What is the, the, the exciting part is the joke? Well, you told me you were excited when you said you had a new one. Yeah, I do. I, I'll, I'll have a warm-up, and then we'll have a, a final one. But just in right. case uh, it wasn't there before, and when I added everything together, we'll, we'll find out. But if you're enjoying the program, we certainly could use your support. Uh, you go to scubaobsessed.com. And click on over the Patreon link, and $3 or more gets you early access to show notes. If you can't donate, you know, you got to feed your kids or something. We understand, but any support will help us keep going. And uh, we did upgrade the audio, so you should see some improvement on that. Uh, the hosting will have it at a nice, crisp 128K uh, bit rate. So um, that we got that coming. 
We're on Twitter at Scuba Obsessed. We're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Scuba Obsessed. Also did added some video clips. So last week's bad scuba joke I played around with, and that's on our Twitter feed. So we'll see if we can drum up a little interest that way. And we're playing, I'm playing around with some other ideas on uh, the video uh, version of some sort of content coming up. So, oh, do I promise a good joke today? I I think it you'll either laugh or groan, but uh, there will be some sort of reaction. So let me get it queued up here. In this first one, we talked about lawyers a little bit earlier. So the first one will start off as a lawyer joke, but uh, we'll um, that they kind of call that an appetizer. <laughs> A lawyer bought a beautiful yacht. He invited long firm, the law firm to come aboard for a great weekend. Saturday night, it was a candlelit dinner. Sam drank too much, walked out on the deck, and fell over the rail in the water and was calling for help. Tom said, oh, no, the sharks will get him. All the party lined up on the rail noticed that the sharks were swimming around him in a circle. Jim said, the sharks are not even bothering him. And a shark lifted its head out of the water and said, professional courtesy. I knew that was coming. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of obvious. So that one, that's that's why it's a, like a warm-up. So if I give you a really bad one, then you don't notice when the other one, how bad it, it actually may or may not be. So here we go. A free diver, a warm water diver, and a cold water diver on an exposition to the Amazon forest. After they get lost, they're walking around, and suddenly out of the bushes jumps in the air, and a men with spears are there. One man says, hey, you're on our sacred land. So we're go- what we're going to do is skin you and use your flesh to make canoes. But we aren't that crazy, so we'll let you choose how you die. The free diver said, bring me poison. The warm water diver said, bring me a gun. And the cold water diver said, bring me a fork. The guy was confused with the fork, but still brought the items and gave it to him. The free diver said, I loved the tranquility underwater and drank the poison and died. The warm water diver said, I loved the life underwater and shot himself and died. The cold water diver started stabbing himself with a fork and said, Make a canoe out of this, you bastards. (laughs) And I'm thinking he learned that with a dry suit. So until him, I like his moxie. <laughs> yes, you got to think ahead. You know, you yeah. Use all those practice skills. As long as you've got air, you've got time. Isn't yeah. that the thing? So absolutely. Until next time, go out there and get wet, and stay safe. Craig hang around or do you try to bail on us again? No, he's still here. Derek, does that, does that qualify as a, as a good joke? Did that pass? Almost, almost a good joke. <laughs> Let's see. We'll get Craig to leave here.